0: Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful show. Here is your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show, a jam-packed edition of the show today because I teased it last week and it's going to happen. We are going to get deep into the Batman a little bit later on in this episode. Really a lot of the back portion of this episode is going to be spent talking about the Batman uh, and it will more than likely contain spoiler conversation. So that is a fair warning. That is coming much later on in the program, but thank you for being a part of this show. If you are listening on this March 9th, well, happy National Barbie Day. Yeah, today, the day that we celebrate Barbie because it is the day that she first hit shelves uh, about 63 years ago. Yeah, celebrating her 63rd birthday today. Uh, But I bring this up because one of the weird, interesting facts I found, that there is a Barbie museum in Montreal I had no idea that there was a museum dedicated to Barbie, but it makes sense 63 years, all the changes, but anytime I hear Barbie, I instantly think of The Simpsons and Malibu Stacy and that episode. If you have if you have never seen it, one stop this podcast right now, go watch that episode on Disney Plus. It's during the heyday of The Simpsons, that like 10-12 year that decade run that they had. Uh, I want to say it was not written by Conan, but I believe when the Malibu Stacy episode came out, Conan was still one of the writers there or might have just left The Simpsons, but that's what I mean. There was a heyday of The Simpsons where they, there, there was like a decade of just writers coming in that it was like, wow, 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 the talent behind that show. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm just thinking Malibu Stacy today, but that's why I brought it up. Also, it's National Meatball Day, so... You know, go ahead, have some meatballs later on. I'll probably whip up some home meatballs, made balls make my italian heritage a very proud as I talk like a mario uh, Which tomorrow, March 10th, if you're listening to this on Thursday, which I've noticed a nice little chunk of you like to listen on Thursdays and download the show on whatever listening, streaming platform you prefer to listen to on, which, please remember, rate, review, and share the show from said platform. Also, go like our YouTube page, Thrill Me Podcast Network, and our Facebook, Thrill Me Podcast Network as well. Uh, So yeah, if um, you go check those out, you can learn a little bit more there. But yeah, uh, National Amitabal Day today, but tomorrow, National Mario Day on March 10th as we celebrate Mario uh, coming into our lives. Uh, I believe that is the, uh, as I do the, uh, the search now, because I didn't really prepare for that one. But yeah, uh, I believe the reason for that day is it was the first time uh, Mario went on sale. Uh, but it might also be because of the fact that March tenth, if you abbreviate it, M A R one zero spells out Mario. So I can't remember exactly um, if that was re- the. I believe it's not even because of the games. It's because of the date. Uh, Looks like his name. So it just kind of became like, oh, today is Mario Day. Kind of like May 4th became May the 4th Be With You Day. Uh, All that good stuff. So yeah, tomorrow uh, you will celebrate Mario. Uh, Which means go ahead and watch the 1993 film starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo and Dennis Hopper. Two actors that can uh, rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, go watch that. Uh, also, Samantha Mathis, who I had a huge crush on because of that movie growing up. Mm, yeah, I'm just that, that was a thing. I really was into Daisy. What can I say? I was young. I saw that movie. I thought it was good. Thought Daisy was cute. Got older, rewatched it. Daisy was still cute. But the movie was... Oh my God, I can't believe I like that as a kid. It has it it's a bad video game movie for sure. Uh, but yeah, welcome into the show. Let's get into it. There are a few things I want to get to before we actually get to some of the news and headlines. Uh, I have a little bit of audio for you, actually, because I came across this. There is a musician by the name of Steve Welsh. Now, what he does is he imagines what songs would sound like if other artists covered them. And this caught my eye because, especially with the Batman being out, uh, Nirvana, their Nevermind album, there was maybe a certain song played during the Batman movie, a little needle drop with Nirvana in the film. Uh, I don't know if this is why Steve Welsh decided to start imagining uh, what Nirvana songs would sound like if other artists performed them, but either way... I came across this through my, I don't want to call it a refinding of Nirvana love because of the Batman, but just just a deep dive back into my earlier music taste, I found myself diving into Nirvana. Uh, I went into a little Foo Fighters kick because let's just be real, Foo Fighters are Nirvana light. Uh, you know, it's, it's Dave Grohl and it's pretty much his attempt to do that when he first uh, started Foo Fighters. I also found myself, though, listening to Alice in Chains. Uh, Early this morning, I was listening to Godsmack's first album. I was listening to Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power album. Uh, I had a really uh, ecliptic ecliptic, um, kind of music collage going on this morning uh, that really picked my spirits up. So, yeah, I came across this uh, and thought I'd share it with you. Uh, It's Steve's take on if Iron Maiden, Weezer, Chili Peppers, Green Day... And I won't tell you who the last one is. Uh, you should figure it out. But what would Nirvana's Nevermind album sound like if they were covered by different bands? Yeah, weezer. <laughs> Alright, yeah, that's a good one. A little green day. Yeah, that last one was, of course, the legendary David Bowie, and that was the song that was used in the Batman that he did the reimagining of if David Bowie sang something in the way. I, if you want to see the whole video, I'll share it on the Thrill Me Podcast Network Facebook page. Uh, the video is exhausting uh, because he doesn't just stop there. He goes on. He includes Ozzy Osbourne. He does a Megadeth, no FX, real big fish. Led Zeppelin. I mentioned Pantera. He does a cover of What Would It Sound Like if Pantera, saying Nirvana's Nevermind. So yeah, just really fun stuff there. Steve Welsh is the musician who did that. But yeah, came across that and it really uh, it, it put me in like a happy place because you know again after seeing the Batman. There was, you know, there was a love for for Nirvana that I've always had that it got reignited because of the uh, needle drop. And and the much, again, I'll get into it with the Batman review, but uh, a much better needle drop than what Captain Marvel did. But again, I'll save that. Stick around. That's coming up a little bit later on. Right now, though, uh, it is time to get into some of the news and headlines uh, of the past week. Uh, Forgot to mention this. Uh, I will start this off with this. Got to see Uncharted. Uh, Actually, should have talked about it last week because I did see it before last week's episode. I just forgot that I saw it until somebody at work when I was like, did you see the Batman? They were like, no, I saw Uncharted. Reminded me. Got to see that. It's an okay film. Fun little movie. Uh, You know, it is what it is. It it reminded me of uh, National Treasure in a way, but it was just a little fun popcorn. Get the large bucket of popcorn. Get the large soda. And go enjoy the charisma that is Tom Holland doing his thing for two hours. uh, Mark Wahlberg along the way as well. But as far as video game movies go, uh, this is not Super Mario Brothers that I was pimping out to you in the beginning. It's steps above that, but it is still a lot left to be desired. I have yet to come across a real video game movie yet that I'm like, yes. This is the adaptation we needed. Even the Mortal Kombat one this past year, which I didn't have a big issue with. I liked it actually a lot better than the original two. Uh, Still wasn't that great of a video game adaptation. It was just an interesting take on it. So at least they tried something in that and I give them credit for that where the Uncharted film just kind of, you know, continued to do uh, the typical what I've come to expect from video game movies where I walk away and I'm like, you know, I wish I played that as opposed to uh, watch that. Now, other news and headlines, though, from the week, there are some things to really get into. Uh, Again, before we get into the Batman, the big one that I want to talk about right now is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Lauren Cohan, they are getting their own Walking Dead spin-off series because, if you forgot, The Walking Dead is back. It is in its final season, part two of three of its final season, uh, which is just Really, we're leading into a whole bunch of spinoff shows because, uh, what, uh, when they announced that they were wrapping up the main show, as they put it, in this uh, 11th season, they then came out and pretty much told us we don't have to worry about Daryl and Carol because they're safe to make it through to the end, thanks to the announcement of their impending spinoff series. Uh, So now that means you can cross Negan and Maggie off of that list of will they or won't they make it now? I will say, as far as the Negan character goes, I think the television show has absolutely done a great job at adapting that from the comics. I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan is amazing. Uh, Where they kind of took that character in this portion of the finale, the final season, I had a feeling they would give him a spinoff. I didn't expect it to come with Maggie, Lauren Cohan, for the obvious reasons that, uh, as, like, review it Rob told me when I was like, oh, that's cool, all right, I guess, you know, I'll probably watch that one as well. Uh, but uh, as he said, he was like, the last thing that I really know about Negan and Maggie is didn't he bash her husband's brain in or something like that? And the answer is yeah, because that's when a lot of you, that was the peak of the show. There was, there was the whole buildup of the ride, and that episode where they came back from the big cliffhanger uh, season six— Started off season seven, where you know he makes the the decision the who's going to get beat by Lucille the baseball bat. It ended up being Abraham and Glenn. Spoilers, by the way, for a show that's been on now for eleven years. Uh, but that's what a lot of people remember. So it, it is confusing. But the show has had Maggie and Negan have some interactions. Since she returned back to the show after leaving the show to tro- go and try and be a star in another TV show that ended up getting canceled on ABC. So now that she's back, they they had them interact a lot. And I'm shocked that they're doing the spinoff together, but it also makes sense because there's been this growing online belief that where the Negan character is and where the Maggie character is, that there's like tension between the two. And I'm not talking tension in the fact of how the show's trying to build it with, oh, is Maggie going to kill Negan when she gets a chance for what he did to Glenn? We all have been talking online, us Walking Dead fans. And if you're a Walking Dead fan, you know what I'm about to say. The tension is more sexual because the feel that I've been getting is that there there is like some weird chemistry between them. And maybe it's just because they're they're two good actors in those roles. And they play those characters very well. But yeah, there's been a lot of back and forth where I'm like, I don't know. I think they might hook up. They they might be on the path to hooking up. So now that they're both getting their own series together, which is going to be called Isle of the Dead, by the way, and premiere in 2023, just a six episode. Uh, They just announced one season, six episodes. Uh, and, And that's going to move it to a much different backdrop from where it is uh, they, they describe the series as follows for Isle of the Dead, envisions the popular Maggie and Negan characters traveling into a post-apocalyptic Manhattan long ago cut off from the mainland. The crumbling city is filled with the dead and denizens who have made New York City their own world full of anarchy, danger, beauty, and terror. Uh, it definitely given off some Escape from New York vibes, and I'm cool with that. Because that means Jeffrey Dean is totally going to be Snake Plissken here, and now I want Jeffrey Dean Morgan to play Snake Plissken uh, in whatever reboot, remake, requel, whatever they eventually do, Uh, because I think Escape from New York is getting a reboot. I know Big Trouble in Little China is uh, that Carpenter classic, but I think think escape from new york is on the table as well i saw that somewhere i'll have to get a research team to double check that uh, but again maggie and Negan have a little bit more of a history here stuff like that uh yeah i'm 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 into this i'm i'm kind of also somebody though that wishes they wouldn't make these announcements before the show comes to an end because like i mentioned Knowing that Carol and Daryl are going to have this spinoff, there were there were some moments uh, in in the previous season, last season with with Carol, that it was like, oh, snap, is she going to make it? And then I quickly was like, of course, she's going to make it. She's got to go on some BFF adventure with Daryl after all this ends. So, yeah, there she's fine. She's okay. Uh, Now I'm going to have that same reaction with Maggie and Negan where it's like, yeah, they're fine. They're okay. They're going to go off. They're going to do some crazy thing. Uh, But I will say that the show did place Negan in a spot where I thought uh, if he got a spinoff, it wasn't going to involve anybody from this main show. I didn't think it would involve Maggie. I didn't even think there would be a Daryl or Carol crossover. Uh, There wouldn't be no King Ezekiel. There wouldn't be a Eugene. There wouldn't be any of that stuff. I thought they were going to honestly take it into where Kirkman took it in the comics, which is just Negan leaves and at the very end of the comics if you don't know and at the very end uh, Kirkman said that even though Rick dies in the comics again spoiler to a comic book that's now been over for a few years but when Rick die and I know you're supposed to say spoiler before saying the spoiler but I'm just assuming everybody knows these things cuz the walking dead comic ended on such a huge drastic note that that was out there instantly i, I but he mentioned at the end of the comic Oh, but by the way, even though this character's dead, Negan still lived, which pissed off some readers, of course, because Negan is one of the ultimate bad guys slash turn good guys. And I thought the show has done a great job with that character that I thought his spinoff, if it happened. And yes, there was an episode recently in this part two of three finale that set it up where, okay, cool, they're going to do the comic book thing. He's going to go off and Negan's going to be fine in his own little post-apocalyptic world away from everybody else. But okay, we're going to we're going to bring Maggie into the equation. Uh you know, they've probably seen what we all said online, which is that we 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 dig their chemistry together. It it does work together. So, uh there you go, another Walking Dead spin-off coming. I know some of you are probably like, "Oh man, just like I'm tired of the zombie shit. Get rid of it." Uh but me, I'm I I'm not tired of it. I still love The Walking Dead. I still very much get down with the Sunday nights trying to avoid the spoilers for the show before I get to catch up on it because it airs so late for my job. But yeah, there you go. There's going to be a little Negan Maggie spinoff on the horizon. Uh, Now, some other news and notes uh, I wanted to get to. I know Rob talked about it. Uh, I know Zach has talked about it as well. The Alien reboot that's on the way from Fetty Alvarez that was announced. Uh, That's going to be coming. Uh, Disney, you know, doing their thing, man. Uh, They now own the the 20th Fox or 20th Century, I should say. They dropped the Fox portion of it. Uh, But they made that purchase. They now own Aliens or Alien, I should say, the Alien franchise. But uh, yeah, they're going to be bringing the Xenomorphs back. Listen, Fetty Alvarez, I, I gave my take on his latest produced effort as far as a director goes i really dug the his evil dead remake or reboot requel whatever the again whatever we're calling these things these days uh, i really dug his take on the evil dead i really enjoyed don't breathe i had no interest in seeing don't breathe 2 because the minute uh it came out and it was like yeah all those things we did in the first film yeah that 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 horrible person now is going to be the guy you're cheering for. I was like, all right, I'm out. I don't care. You lost me on that. And from what I've gathered from people who have seen it, it's a good thing I made a pass on that film. Eventually, I'll give it a watch because I'll be curious. But that's when it's on one of the hundred streaming services that I watch. Like when it ends up on Shutter, I'll give it a watch or something like that. Uh, I gave my take on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film that he recently produced and was a part of and involved with that's on Netflix right now. Maybe the most negative thing I've talked about on this show in uh, almost 30 episodes. So the most negative I got uh, was with that. I'm interested. Uh, Ridley Scott going to be involved with it as well. But even Ridley Scott's involvement with the Alien franchise has kind of waned on me because I still remember Alien Covenant which yeah that was that was a thing and not 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 my favorite thing that they've done so uh, it's a wait and see thing there is a curiosity here kind of like there is with predator right now but again that's another franchise that a lot of people have taken a shot at and always seems to not work as, as weird as it is because it feels like these are two franchises alien and predator that really should just work, that any that that a horror fan or a thriller fan can come in and create a good story with. But I, I really cannot think, you know, over the past 15, 20 years that they've been trying to continue making these movies. The Alien vs. Predator films, yeah, they, they weren't good. They weren't. Um, I was young enough to think that the first one was good, and then I got old enough that when I saw the second one, I went, yeah, it's just bad. Which that made me go back and watch the first one and go, oh yeah, and that was bad as well. So yeah, we really, they really didn't try and even exceed the bar that they had set, which was already low. Alien movie-wise as well, I mean, Alien 3 is, you know, it's there. Alien 4 has Winona Ryder in it. You know, that was late 90s, Winona. Also had my girl Sigourney in there and, you know, Everybody that really knows me knows I got a thing for Sigourney Weaver dating back to Ghostbusters. What up, chair? Um, Predator-wise, that last one with Shane Black coming back—guy who was involved with the original. But I've, I've, I didn't have this show at the time, but I've, I've shared it on other shows that I was a part of, and in my review for uh, an old station I used to work for at the time as well but that last Predator movie really became very clear that one person had a vision and then a studio that doesn't even own the property anymore. It explains why they had to sell because their vision and his vision clearly conflicted. And that was a film that I felt like uh, eventually the director went, yeah, what's your stupid studio notes? Sure. You know what? I'm not just going to appease you. I'm going to put every one of your bad notes into this movie just to show you how dumb you are. And that made that movie pretty damn dumb. Uh, Now, if you know what the alternative ending to that film was originally possibly going to be, that might have... wouldn't have helped it. Let's be real. It wouldn't have helped it. It just would have been cool for a Sigourney Weaver crossover in that moment to kind of really tie in the Predator Alien aspect of things. Uh, But yeah, we'll see where this goes. It's going to be for Hulu... Uh, I know some people take issue, get scared when things come directly to streaming services, and rightfully so, The you know, 99% of the time they're probably not good films if they go there, but then that 1% of the time you get a film like Fresh that was on Hulu, uh, which I'll get into that in just a moment as well, that's actually going to be the next part uh, before we get to the Batman stuff, I'm going to give you a Fresh uh, review, but yeah, that's You know, we'll see what happens when this film comes out. There is an eye on it, uh, curiosity, but what do they say about curiosity and the cat? You know, that could be the case as well. Uh, Now, speaking of films that do come out on streaming, uh, Fresh was a new film starring Sebastian Stan that dropped on Hulu last week, got to see that movie, and it is a fresh film. It is very interesting Very dark comedy, very clever. Uh, The concept of this film is all about a young woman out and about dating in the 21st century, you know, on her little Tinder, Bumble, stuff like that, finding her matches, and realizing just how crappy the dating world is these days. Uh, And if you've ever had to go on dates using those apps, you know how they go. Not to say they're all bad, I very happily have actually found a relationship through one of them. So there are success stories through them. But a lot of them are, you know, you go on a date with somebody and you're like, this explains why you're here. Uh, This explains a lot of why you're single. So this is a film that, written by by a comedian who 100% understands horror as a genre as well, and was able to meld a story that took the horrors of dating in the 21st century and then combined it into Hannibal Lecter uh, meets just Ed Gein meets all these crazy like aspects of I I like I'm trying to think of uh, all the serial killers because I know Ed Gein is the one that really inspired like Hannibal Lecter in them and Leatherface and uh, Norman Bates and stuff but yeah like molds all of those into one character played by Sebastian Stan who appears to be a good guy uh that has an unusual appetite uh for things in life the one downfall to this film in my opinion is that it is close to two hours its runtime is very long but so maybe you could have shaved I don't know about You could definitely have cut at least 15 minutes from this film and it would still get the point across. It would still be very poignant uh, and it would still be a good film. But yeah, this is a a very fun movie, which is crazy to say with with a concept like, like cannibalism happening in this type of film. But yeah, Fresh starring Sebastian Stan on Hulu. If you are looking for a dark comedy And to watch Sebastian Stan play a a horrible, evil person, uh, because that's all I knew going into this film. I had seen some promotion for it, but didn't really know what the movie was until uh, I saw, saw one of the writers from Bloody Disgusting tweet out, how did I just find out Sebastian Stan is playing a cannibal in an upcoming Hulu film? That was all I needed to hear. And I was in. And, holy crap, it does not disappoint in the idea of Sebastian Stan plays a cannibal in an upcoming dating film. So, thumbs up. Very much recommend uh, checking out Fresh if you have Hulu or you have your friend's Hulu account. Uh, that is, was one hell of a ride uh, over the weekend. Now, moving on to the things that I'm sure you're all really here for. Uh, it is time to talk about The Batman. Starring Robert Pattinson. So, from this point forward, if you have not seen the movie, uh, this is your warning. Uh, Conversation from this point forward, uh, gonna start getting into some spoilers here in a little bit. So, you definitely, again, if you have not seen The Batman, this is your warning. I cannot promise that I will not spoil things in this film. I have a lot of notes on this movie, a lot of thoughts about this film. Uh, And we're going to dive into them here in just a second uh, because, again, I want to make it known, if you have not seen this movie, stop listening because things about to get real. So the Batman has opened in theaters. It was the number one movie uh, here in America, number one movie worldwide as well. Domestic box office. It made one hundred and twenty eight point five million over its three days. That was the second largest opening since the pandemic started, behind Spider Man No Way Home, which had a 260 million debut in December. So far, Spider Man, The Batman, only two movies to debut with over 100 million since December of 2019. Don't Tell Martin Scorsese, Don't Tell Ridley Scott. Don't tell all those a-holes that say who comic book movies are not real and comic book movies are bad because if it wasn't for two comic book movies your precious theater movies that you want to make your Oscar bait uh, they wouldn't have theaters to go to because right now if it wasn't for the two superheroes where would theaters be coming out of a pandemic when they've already been struggling. Uh, so, the Batman has now also made another 120 million overseas. Its worldwide total was $248.5 million. Um, there's a fun poll I want to talk at the end of all of this because uh, I, I think it's time to get into the review of this film. Uh, it's time to talk about the Batman, which, uh, as I mentioned, stars Robert Pattinson uh, as Batman. Uh, and this was a movie that I'm going to come right out and say it. I really, really enjoyed this film. I thought this was uh, a very fun movie. I know that's probably crazy to say because a lot of the complaints I've seen is that, uh, this was a very downer of a movie. This was a very depressing Batman movie. This was not a very good Batman movie. All that good, all all that. I don't want to call it good stuff, but all that stuff, uh, when at the end of the day, I, I actually think this is one of the more hopeful Batman movies. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll explain that in, in just a second. But uh, the Batman sees us, uh, opens up, and we see that Batman has existed in this world for two years. So we are in year two of the Batman existing in Gotham. Uh, and And I love this movie because it comes right out of the gate. And very much sets the stage and shows you that while the Batman has been here for two years, uh, Gotham City really hasn't gotten any better. Things have actually gotten a lot worse since the Batman has come along uh, and has tried to stop the corruption and the problems in the streets of Gotham. Uh, I I also want to shout out the fact that I think this film does a fabulous job at representing Gotham. Uh, usually you can look at a Batman movie and go, oh, that's Tim Burton's Gotham. Oh, that's Christopher Nolan's Gotham. Oh, that's Joel Schumacher's Gotham because everybody has nipples. Uh, you know, like things like that. You can usually look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's this director, or this creator's version of it. This version of Gotham just felt like a, a city to me. It just felt like a corrupt city, which is what I always really envisioned Gotham to be. Not the Joel Schumacher buildings and not the Tim Burton kind of designs that, you know, you come to know from Burton's films, especially his earlier work and stuff like that. So I really liked the design of Gotham in this movie. It just, it felt like Gotham, not so much distinctive to a director's feel. It just felt like this city that needed this vigilante in it. Uh, but we find out that things haven't been going good for the two years. Uh, and and I give this film a lot of credit as well, because in that opening, while we're getting a voiceover of the Batman, and which, by the way, this is totally a Halloween movie since it starts on Halloween night. Uh, but we're getting this voiceover from the Batman explaining things, explaining how he's been at it for two years, how he's been working with the police department, how he's been working with, with uh, Gordon at the time, uh, Jim Gordon at the time, who's who's still a lieutenant. Uh, he's, he's not Commissioner Gordon yet, but he's Lieutenant James Gordon in this film, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright, where we see the bat signal has become a thing where they've worked that out, that that's a thing that they use now, but... The Batman and the Gotham City Police Department working together mainly because of the relationship between Lieutenant James Gordon and Batman, which, again, I give this film a lot of props because I feel like it took what we loved about Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Now, granted, I don't think the Batman's going to be a three film build up into an origin story, but what did we all say after Homecoming? oh, we love the fact that we didn't have to see the spider bite again. We didn't have to see Uncle Ben get shot. We didn't get the great power comes great responsibility aspect of things, yada, yada, yada. Now, yes, well, everything we know about the Spider-Man trilogy now uh, kind of takes away from that, but this film steals that concept. We don't have to watch Bruce's parents get shot down and die. We don't have to see young Bruce Wayne crying. We don't have to see... Bruce Wayne vanished from Gotham City. You know, we all know the Batman origin story at this point because it's so engraved in pop culture and in our daily lives that even if you're not a fan of Batman, you know that story. You know his parents are killed. You know he goes off and trains and then becomes a vigilante and tries to bring justice and all that stuff. And pretty much every Batman movie, even Batman 89. Batman Begins. Uh, A lot of these first films to tell these stories always tell the origin. This film undoes that. We don't need to see how he became Batman. We just know he's been Batman for two years and things have not been going good. We also don't need to see the relationship between Gordon and him build. We know that exists as well. So I, I love that idea of, Through the osmosis of society, all the stuff that we have gotten over the years of Batman uh, that Matt Reeves goes, okay, we don't need to retell that. You know it. Let's go. It's Batman time. And that's the other thing about this movie. If you come in and you are hoping to see Batman, I don't need to do any math. I can tell you this. This is a Batman movie that features Batman. There's no... Focusing in on on just the rogues gallery of characters, uh, a la A Batman Returns, where I what I think we get nine minutes or twelve minutes of Batman in a two hour plus film, but it focuses more on Penguin, Catwoman, and everybody else, uh, and gives you more Bruce Wayne than it does Batman in the film. No, this is a film that went. You're getting Batman and Robert Pattinson from the beginning of the movie to the very end of this movie, is in that Batsuit at least 90% of the time. Now, there are flashes of Bruce Wayne in this film. We get to see him portray Bruce Wayne, but I think as far as the story goes, keeping him in the Batman outfit was really wise because when we see the little bit of Bruce Wayne we see, it really shows how much he struggles right now currently in the balance of, the Batman and Bruce Wayne. This isn't, oh, I'm the Batman and I know how to juggle the two already. Our introduction to him is, shows Alfred, Andy circus being like, you're just too focused on this that everything else around you is falling apart. The business is falling apart. Our, our house is falling Everything around us because you are so obsessed with only being the Batman. Uh, the funeral scene, when we see him out and about, we see how... Pattinson as Bruce Wayne is very unfamiliar with how to be Bruce Wayne and there isn't much of a distinction between the two characters yet and I don't know if that was a decision by Pattinson and Reeves if it was just Robert Pattinson bringing that to the table. but I really liked that because again every other iteration of this character we've seen it's like oh, we get to watch the origin story and then he knows how to be Bruce Wayne in the Batman. No, this is showing there's a struggle. And even one of the early shots of Bruce, uh, of I was going to call him Bruce Wayne, but yeah, he was Bruce Wayne in the streets there for a second in the open when he's doing his voiceover and talking about how all, all the people in mask, but I'm out here right now and they don't realize I'm out here. Even when he's not in his, his mask, he still has the eyeshadow on. He's still covering himself up. He's still not exactly Bruce Wayne. He's still doing something to disguise himself as being Bruce Wayne because he doesn't know how to be Bruce Wayne. He's been spending the past two years solely being the Batman. So I really liked that. I loved that direction with the character. Uh, And and if there are sequels, which we'll assume that there are going to be at least two more films from this, I would imagine that they'll do a trilogy. But if there is a sequel to this film, I imagine that we're going to start seeing the separation between the two characters, the idea of Bruce Wayne becoming the eccentric billionaire that is a face of Gotham, while Batman is also a hero of Gotham. Uh, And that's another thing, too. Uh, This is a Batman movie, and I mentioned that Pattinson's in that suit at least 90% of the time. But we're watching a Batman arc. You know, when this film begins, everybody was talking about it. And I've seen some people hate the fact that he does the I am justice or I am vengeance. Uh, Sorry, not the justice, the vengeance thing. uh, and, And is physical and raw. But in the sense of this story, it makes perfect sense. Because what he remembers and what he thinks happened with his parents is what has led him to being this vigilante and going, I need to bring vengeance to the crime that is Gotham. But by the end of the movie, instead of being vengeance, we see Batman now helping people in the flood, helping people get to safety. That last shot of him, which was shown in the trailer, but that last shot of him, and more specifically, we'll look at this through the eyes of um, the young kid, that uh, witnessed his uh, that that found his father dead. Uh, mayor Don uh, Mitchell Jr. Uh, that found the mayor dead. Uh, but look at it through the, just look at this through the child's eyes for a second. That child, you imagine, has just witnessed a real hero. He saw the Batman, who uh, does a lot of detective work in this film, uh, because this is a film that very much pulls from its influences, and you can tell this is seven this is zodiac this is david fincher gone girl this is this is all of that style of stuff rolled into one la confidential uh, that that noir that that gritty crime detective story it is that all rolled into one uh but when you look at the child so that kid he finds his dad dead They kind of linger on it and you get the impression that it's 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 Batman's lingering uh, and looking at the child because he can see himself in that kid. His parents were taken by criminals. This kid had his father taken and found the body, uh, you know, of his dad being dead. Oh, my goodness. But by the end of the movie. Instead of being this vigilante going out and looking for vengeance on it. He's a person that is sitting there and, and lifting that child up and saving that child's life and putting the citizens of Gotham first. So, yeah, I, I, I like that arc of the story as well with the Batman that we take it from this this guy that wants vengeance to this guy that is actually there. Uh, and now at the end of the movie, providing the hope for Gotham that he was hoping to. But in the beginning, admitted he wasn't able to because things were bad. Now he's there. And now he's able to provide more hope for Gotham. So that's also why I say to the people that are like, hey, this is a really dark iterate. It's actually one of the more hopeful Batman movies because by the end of it, and again, just looking at it through the, through the kids' eyes in the film uh, that, that suffered a loss and then by the end almost was killed until Batman saved everyone and then, not everyone, but Batman saved people and then was helping the Gotham citizens right there with all the other first responders really was the beacon of hope. So it ends on a very positive note. It might not seem it, but trust me, it really does. Uh, Now, I focused a lot in on Pattinson as the Batman and how there's not a lot of Bruce, uh, how it's detective work, stuff like that. Uh, But I want to focus in on some of the other Batman players in this film uh, because while I'm high praising it, I actually think uh, with these side characters, is where this film gets a little held up, and why I won't call it a perfect film. Uh, now I want to start with with Gordon. I, I've already mentioned it. Uh, he's not a detective yet. He's not. He's not the commissioner yet. He's just Lieutenant Gordon. But I loved Jeffrey Wright as this character. I felt as uh, one of Batman's side players in this. It, it was a wonderful relationship. I really enjoyed watching the two of them go out, play detective together, work together. Uh, and and a lot of this film is 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 that. And it is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Jeffrey Wright and Robert Pattinson are two really good actors. So watching them play off of each other uh, and watching... Uh, okay, circling back really quickly one second, I do want to say this. For Robert Pattinson to bring so much to this character when he is wearing the cape and curl the entire time and is unreliable and cannot act so much with face. He is able, like his facial reactions, he is able to provide so much gravitas, so much to that character, just through the way that he simply turns his head or utilizes his body or uses his eyes, for instance, as well. Uh, I think he is able to portray so much under, uh, under that mask in that, you know, in that uniform, in that outfit, in that suit, without actually having to say it or show it. Uh, like, well, I mean, he's showing it, but you know what I'm saying. He he doesn't have the facial reactions of that of, like, Jeffrey Wright or Andy Serkis or uh, John Turturro, who I'm going to get to in just a second. Uh, you know, he has to do it all while hiding, and he's able to portray so much tragedy, so much behind that mask that it's just, again, it's 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 a wonderful performance as Batman. But uh Jeffrey Wright as Gordon, uh, really, uh, really enjoyed that character. Very much looking forward to seeing more of that. Um, now, I mentioned John Turturro is Carmine Falcone in this movie. And while a lot of talk is on Paul Dano as the Riddler, who we'll talk about in a moment, I want to give Turturro uh, a huge round of applause on this because I believe... His portrayal of Carmine Falcone, uh, the mobster, is a big driving force of what makes this movie good. He is a very creepy character. He's a very scary character. He's a very menacing character. And it's a reminder of just how good of an actor he is. People forget how good of an actor he is. I feel like people forget because they just think of things like, Uh, His appearances in in more so comedies and kind of the over the topness that he can do. But I think when he's given a role like this, he can be really terrifying and he pulls it off fabulously in this film. Uh, Now, Paul Dano as the Riddler has did a great job, uh, really liked it. Uh, There's something about this idea of uh, this crazy character promoting this populist idea to a fringe group of people online that was really terrifying, really standout-ish, and very much speaks to uh, the certain times that we live in as well right now, which is something I've tried reminding people about the Christian Bale Dark Knight trilogy, is what made those films so wow is that at the time, they were one of the first ones to come along and go, what if we take government surveillance and put it in a batman movie and have something to say about society and where we are and they did it and they did it fabulously anytime i watch the dark knight the sonar aspect of things just 100 percent reminds me of what we all eventually found out which is what many of us had already known our government had been spying on us our government was using our phones to listen in on us that's what batman was doing and that was a thing that was suggested back then but You know, depending on what aisle of the political sports team you lie on, you either recognized it and called it out or you recognized it and didn't say crap because, you know, it would make your team look bad. Uh, But it was able to comment on society at the time. This film, using the Riddler, again, to promote a populist idea to a fringe group of people online... Uh, really was able to make the comment without needing to make the comment. I don't need to tell you uh, where that comparison lies, uh, but it does explain why some certain people online have not been fans of this film and have said that it's too woke and all that crap. I didn't see it. I didn't see any of the wokeness. I just saw a, a, a guy that was utilizing this idea and presenting it in a warped way that people were gravitating towards. That's scary. Uh, Now, some of the side characters, though, that I do think, uh, the Batman side characters that I do think got a little held up in this film for whatever reason, whether it was uh, too much of a Batman story, which isn't really a bad thing because it is the Batman, or it's just in the bulk of the time they didn't have a lot for them to do. Uh, But I want to start with Catwoman. I think Catwoman is, and I want to start with her because I think Zoe Kravitz is really good As Selina Kyle. A.K.A. Catwoman in this film. I think she is fabulous. I really liked her her take on the character. I loved. I think that this film. uh, Live action wise. Does the best job. At showcasing the Batman and Catwoman relationship. The back and forth. The. We both have our hard lines. Of where we won't cross over. But we're still very close. Ideology wise. It's just. Me as Catwoman, I, I stand on this side of the line. You as Batman stand on this side of the line. And through our ideas and where we stand on issues, we will never cross that line to fully come together. But we're close enough that we do work together and we have this flirtation. Like, I just loved it. I really loved that back and forth between them and all of that. With that being said, I do feel that, unfortunately, Zoe Kravitz is more there to... Uh, really guide the story along and and plays more of a role as opposed to just presenting the story in ways. She's just kind of there to push things forward. Uh, You know, the connection with her and the Falcone is my father. I'm going to kill him. But she doesn't. It's Riddler that still kills him. Uh, You know, so it's things like that that unfortunately are just some of the tropes that are... In a lot of films, but it was things like that where I was like, did we really need that? Uh, You know, yes, I know there are versions of the comic book that dive into that idea that Carmine Falcone is her kid or is her father and that's the kid and this and that. But the film just really kind of presented it as a way to get the rat into the light. Like, it's things like that that they did with the character that I'm like, she she feels a little underserviced and and, and a little too kind of tied into the, you're here to make sure this happens here. And you're here. Not as bad as Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, which that one will forever drive me up the wall with the cloned kid at the end, only being there specifically because they needed somebody to push the button at the end. It's not that bad, but it's still, it's still noticeable enough to me that I'm like, mm, your, your character isn't done justice because of these things. It kind of hurts your character a little bit. Uh, and the other character I, I wish we got a little more of, and I understand that we are going to be getting the spinoff series on HBO Max, as well as not the Gotham PD series anymore that's turned into the Arkham series now, uh, but Penguin. Colin Farrell, uh, really every time he came onto the scene as Penguin, uh, was just... Fabulous, but for a three-hour movie, really underused. But again, we do know that he will be back. Time should fix this as well. Again, if if we're looking at the idea that there are going to be sequels to this film, while there hasn't been one announced, you can assume that there will be. I imagine that moving forward, that character is going to be propped more into the spotlight. But for the most part, he was kind of there. He kind of did some things. Uh, he was involved in uh, a practical effect that uh, just my favorite chase scene of any Batman movie so far. Uh, the introduction of of, of this Batmobile, uh, just one of those things. Listen, I'm not really a big car guy. I get into car chases. Baby Driver was one of my favorite films. It was my favorite film that year. Uh, still a film that even despite the fact of everybody that's involved in it, uh, might be a little sketchy outside of just Kevin Spacey. Not talking Edgar Wright, but I'm talking some of the actor, uh, some of the other actors. Uh, you know, that's still a film that I absolutely love. And I'm not, again, I'm not a big car guy. Like I'm, I don't sit there and I'm like, yeah, man, that's a Chevy, and you has got a a piston of no. I'm not that into cars. I see cars, I like cars. I'm like, yeah, that that that. That yeah, car is 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 hot. I want I want the supernatural car, or I want I want the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazzard. You know, like I can recognize cool cars like that. But holy crap, the car chase scene in this Batman movie was just stellar. And to find out that it was practical, uh, Robert Pattinson actually did push the Batmobile, uh, that car, to hundred plus miles per hour when he was driving it at times. Like to know that he was behind the wheel for some of it, it just makes that scene even more impressive than it already does, uh, than it already is, because it really was, hands down, that was one of my favorite scenes from the movie. I'll give you another one of my favorite scenes in just a moment that I think really uh, does a great job at at showcasing why this is a good film, but I want to finish off with the side characters and talk about Alfred. Andy Serkis was there, but he's kind of there, you blink, you miss him. There just wasn't a lot there with Alfred. And that kind of sucks. But again, it's kind of cool. But there was an interesting dynamic with him that I, I wish that there was more to go along with uh, and more to happen with that character. But yeah, he was just kind of there uh, and just not enough time given to him. Again, in a movie, that's that's almost three hours. So that that's just kind of like the little things that bothered me about this film. Overall, though... Again, just a really interesting take on the character, a really fun movie from beginning to end. Uh, yes, it's dark. Yes, it's gritty. Yes, it's it's very a uh, noir. It's a thriller, it's a suspense. It is uh, it, it has moments of wow, that's kind of jigsaw-ish. Uh, that's very John Doe seven ish. But I like that. I I like that the Batman was able to go into that dark place and was able to present us with a movie like it did that, again, as I'm going to stand by it, ends on a lot more hope than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Uh, Now, I want to talk about one other shot from this film. Oh, uh, before we talk about that shot, I do want to say that the Arkham scene, uh, the introduction of the Joker... Uh, I'm not gonna get the actor's name correct, so I'll hold off on saying that for a second. But uh, I, I do think that uh, that is an interesting choice. I've seen, I, I've seen some people say um, to give that actor a chance because uh, I guess he did a movie. Uh, I guess he did an independent film not too long ago that everybody said like, if if you want an idea of how he will present, how he'll be, portray that character. See this, see this. You'll get an idea of why it's not a bad casting. Uh but still, uh the guy from Eternals, Barry Kogan, I believe is how you say his name again. I don't fully know it. I might have butchered it right there. I'm sorry. Uh to Barry cuz I know he's listening to this show. Uh but we'll see where that goes. Uh I, you know, and I, I'm I'm shocked to find out that so many people were unaware of who that character was cuz the minute he popped up and he started talking to the Riddler in Arkham Asylum, uh, I was like, holy shit, they just introduced the Joker. Uh, and I know Matt Reeves has said that he is not fully the character that we all now know he is. He's not there yet, but he's close to it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Barry uh, Cohen, kind, whatever his name is. Sorry again. But yeah, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I also saw that Matt Reeves has even said that he might not be, uh, the villain in the sequel. And I know that there is a little something, something post credit wise that takes you to a website. And some people have started to decipher the Riddler code that's on the website. Cause that's where the website takes you. It takes you to uh, a riddle from the Riddler. Uh, some people have started to hack that and figure it out and they are saying two face uh, is is kind of the indication of where the sequel might go, which I'm totally into as well. Uh, you don't need to give me a, here's the Joker, now the next film's the Joker, because then we start getting into Batman Begins territory. Where we're like, no, left the calling card, and it's a Joker card, and you're like, all right, cool, that's a sequel. Instead, this is like, oh shit, Joker. Oh, not yet, we're going this way. So if it is Two-Face, I'd be into that. I'm very curious to see where that goes. Uh, but all right, last thing I want to talk about, I mentioned the car chase being one of my favorite shots, uh, but I think the best overall shot of this film that 100% really captures uh, where Bruce Wayne, Batman, Robert Pattinson is in year two as this character is the sequence where he flies. The flight sequence from the top of the Gotham Police Department after he's I don't want to say in their custody because he wasn't, but after he wakes up in the police station after the Riddler uh, really didn't care about the district attorney uh, being able to answer the three riddles, just wanted to get the Batman there to kill the district attorney in front of him. There was no win in that situation. That's not not so much a jigsaw game uh, but more of a more more of a jigsaw's minions style of game where there is no. Yeah, you can survive this more of a you, this, you're just going to die. So following that scene where the Batman wakes up in the police station and then him and, and this is this this whole sequence is where I go. This is a movie that gets it and is telling a great story without having to re explain these characters to us because, you know, the Gotham City Police Department, they want to know who's under the mask. Gordon is there. Gordon's curious, but Gordon also wants to protect this guy's identity, this person's identity, He, you know. So there's kind of this thing of a vigilante being in the police station and he clearly doesn't want to be there. And he's surrounded by all these cops who think they should arrest him, figure out who he is, all this stuff. And there's just real big tension of, oh, how is Batman getting out of this? And eventually it leads to, gordon being like listen i got it and the two of them are sitting there and they're having this conversation of like all right well you're gonna have to punch me in the face this back door is open you take these keys you can go up these flight of stairs you can go out here yada yada that back and forth right there again explain it shows why you don't need to sit there and go i'm i'm jim gordon well i'm the batman well let's become friends can i trust you i don't know it's been two years at this point he trusts him enough where he's like all right I'm going to help you break out of here, but we got to make it look like you you broke out. Like, I can't be seen helping you, but I'm helping you. That was awesome, man. That was so cool. And again, just explained so much about those two characters without having to take the time to really stop the film and stop the flow to go, hey, you know these characters are friends, right? Like, you know they're going to become friends. Like, you know he's going to become commissioner and they're going to like really work together, right? Like, didn't need to do that. Just did it just through simple conversation. there were two other moments as well between the two of them. Uh, The one towards the end of the movie as well, where um, he looks at him and and he realizes all the corruption and everything and the corruption in the Gotham Police Department, the corruption in just Gotham goes so much deeper and Bruce's entire world has been upended and the Batman's entire world has been upended on the information learned about his parents as well, which was a really cool take in this film uh, to kind of... Uh, To me, I felt like it was a hint at the um, court of owls, like that idea of rich people, the underbelly, that type of stuff. So I kind of got that feel that maybe that's a possibility as well. But I I liked that aspect of the film. Uh, But yeah, uh, uh, there's that there's that line he makes to him towards the end where he's like, you're a good cop. That realization of like, I'm heading into a situation I might not make it out of. There's so much corruption. But you and me have built this bond for two years. I trust you, you trust me. Like, again, without having to actually sit there and bash us over the head with it, they just did it. They just kind of slightly moving on. Uh, So I really liked that, but back to the scene in question that I think is, hands down, one of the best moments. Um, He does the punch, he then starts to escape. He gets up to the roof, and you see the hesitation. And again, this goes to the way that Pattinson was able to act in the cape and crawl, as opposed to everybody else in this film that was able to act, act, and you see their face, you can see that look in his eyes as he gets up there, that realization of like, oh man, I am so high up. I don't know if this is going to work. I'm a little terrified. I haven't done this yet. Uh, Here we go. Changes the suit over, jumps off the building, and the camera, instead of sitting on this wide shot, Puts us in the position where we can see his facial reactions. We can, we're getting POV shots of what he's seeing as he's flying around Gotham. Like that whole sequence, in and of itself, like that's the thing. That's another thing about this movie I thought was great is that it focused in on characters. And that is a character development moment that is full of excitement, Uh, it's just wonderfully pulled off and is able to again give us more depth to the batman you know we knew he was scared of that and guess what there's a moment later on in the film i don't know if you even noticed it with catwoman where instead of jumping and flying he 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 goes down he he gets his he uses one of his toys and he he just runs down the building instead he ain't flying again cuz he just had that terrifying moment you know earlier in the movie. So I I love little things like that and and that type of character development where we saw the fear, we saw him do it, we focused in on his face, his point of view. Yeah, we got some wide shots as well and eventually when he, you know, when he uh, crashes there at the end, kind of the most unrealistic moment, Um, one of those real superhero moments, like the only one that I can really remember in the movie where it was like, dude, you just went like fucking from the top of a building, flew down and crashed. Like, you'd be dead. Uh, kind of like the Tobey Maguire runs out of spider fluid while swinging around uh, and, and falls from the top of a building onto, like, the ground and it just pops right back up and it's like, oh, I'm good. Uh, you know, that was kind of the only moment that I was like, oh, that's a little comic booky. But everything leading up to that crash was still very character-driven. So, yeah, you know, I just... Really enjoyed this movie. I give it a four point five out of five. I really recommend uh, seeing it again. Uh, but yeah, just this was one hell of a Batman movie. Uh, I think next week or or maybe I'll do a special where I'll do some rankings on the Batman uh, and you know characters like that because that's the thing. Uh, now that this film has come out, now that all that said, uh, there was a, a poll that recently came out asking. Uh, Who the best Batman is, and according to uh, a thousand people polled, thirty-one percent chose Ben Affleck. He edged out Michael Keaton at thirty percent, and third place went to Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman in various animated series, movies, video games, uh, and he was sitting at twenty-eight percent. Bale was fourth at twenty-six, followed by Adam West at five. 25%. So yeah, you know, the conversation is now going to begin. I don't know if there's enough time for me to really make a decision on this Batman. I've still been lingering on it, but I really enjoyed uh, Robert Pattinson's take on the Batman. I really liked this movie from Matt Reeves and uh, that is my Batman review. So the longest episode of the Mr. Wonderful show uh, is now officially coming to an end. Uh, Thank you all so much for hanging out. Uh, What did you think of the Batman? Tell me. Hit me up on social media. My Twitter is wonderful underscore radio, or you can talk to us on the Thrill Me Podcast Network Facebook page, as well as the Thrill Me Podcast Network YouTube, where you can hear this show. You can hear Review at Rob's show. You can hear Zach Speakeasy, which will be out on Thursday. And you can also catch Hunters Podcast when they return, or I should say when we return, because I am a part of that show as well. Uh, but when we return, uh, also a fun thing going on right now, do want to mention this on uh, Facebook. Again, you want to follow Through Me Podcast Network because uh, if you are a fan of Halloween Horror Nights, uh, with March being here, we have begun a March madness. Uh, your vote's going to determine uh, who advances, who moves on. Uh, we got a little bracket challenge going on for different HHN uh, style themes as far as IPs, as far as original houses, as far as, uh, you know, movies you wish were there, movies you wish returned, stuff like that. So if you want to go check out The Bracket, you can do that now on the Thrill Me Podcast Network Facebook page. Until next week, peace and love.